Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA-certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Pakistanos, Pennsylvania. Um, today I have a little bit of a different episode. It's not necessarily ministerial uh, per se, uh, but it is one that I am so excited to share with you the last several weeks. Uh, I, uh, like you perhaps, have been watching uh, ESPN's uh, incredible documentary entitled The Last Dance, which chronicles the uh, primarily the 1998 season of the Chicago Bulls and their NBA title run, along with also uh, interspersing uh, stories, anecdotes, and memories of the legacy of the career and life of, uh, of course, the one of the greatest NBA players of all time, Michael Jordan. And um, this documentary is one of the best I've ever seen, uh, especially um, one on Michael Jordan, that is, but it's also one that's just filled with just incredible stories and looks at this, uh, at, at Michael Jordan, a, a man whose career and life that we haven't really gotten this type of look at before, uh, and here he's kind of uh, giving us a little peek inside of, of him, uh, Michael Jordan, and his work ethic and the things that went into making his career what it is uh, and what it was, and uh, I'm just so thankful uh, that I was able to kind of get these thoughts out. Uh, I was pondering whether to write something or just to talk it out, I guess. And it was uh, so beneficial to actually talk it out with two guys that I'm uh, very happy to introduce to you again. Uh, returning is uh, Bob Hiller. I just recorded a podcast with him on James, which you might have listened to. But also we have, uh, also from the 1517 family, uh, Dan Van Voorhees, uh, who uh, is a incredible historian and uh, just in a lot of different areas of pop culture and knowledge he uh, is able to put it into context uh, historically in a way that is uh, very captivating and riveting and very enlightening and so in uh, Bob is just great to have on as well and so we were able to just kind of bounce ideas off each other and talk for a while uh, about the last dance and about the legacy of the show uh, some of its uh, downfalls perhaps some of the things that it 
didn't get right, so to speak, in terms of just its bias in the way that it was telling the story. But also, I think, too, um, just to reminisce on this show, we are have been enduring a, a season of just lockdowns and all that kind of sen- uh, stuff uh, for several weeks now. And so this documentary really captured the attention of a lot of people just because uh, everyone's so desperate to see something with some sort of athletics in it. Uh, at least I know I am. Uh, and uh, what better to what better athletics to enjoy and uh, be enthralled by than perhaps the greatest NBA athlete ever, uh, Michael Jordan. So uh, I don't want to uh, pr- uh, um, preface this too much, but uh, I just really loved this show. Uh, great conversation. I can talk sports all day, uh, especially when you get into cons- comparing eras and genres of NBA basketball. It's really hard to uh, not engage in those discussions. I have these discussions all the time with some of my other friends, too. It's just comparing the NBA of the 90s and the NBA of the two- 2020s is almost like watching a completely different sport. Um, But I think what this show, The Last Dance, really did for me, uh, well, I'll just spoil it, it really fulfilled, I think, what it was trying to do, which was make millennials like me uh, revere and come to appreciate more a lot lot of what Jordan accomplished. And not just Jordan, but the Bulls uh, in that era during the 90s and the late 90s. Um, So, um, anyways, enjoy this discussion. It's uh, light hearted and it's just a kind of free-flowing conversation uh, about this documentary but about uh, the larger landscape of the NBA Uh, so if you're into professional basketball you'll enjoy this one uh, in talking about nostalgia and uh, perfection and uh, this pursuit of perfection by Jordan and uh, how all of that is related to us in the last so I hope you'll enjoy. It's a good episode. It's one that is encouraging and enriching. And so I hope you can listen along as we discuss The Last Dance. Yeah, I'll just get get us kind of jumped off. Um, I'll just kind of reveal my age. So when Jordan hit the shot, which uh, if we're you know, we're talking about the last dance. the The final episode, episode ten, is kind of centered around Game Six of the nineteen ninety eight Finals. Uh, just to show my hand and show my age, I was eight years old when that happened. Um, so, <laughs> I don't have a, a a long and storied history of Michael Jordan, you know, fandom, and I think that that is kind of what this documentary was supposed to do and then what it set out to do. And in that sense, I think it definitely achieved its end game in the sense that it has definitely made me revere and respect Michael Jordan, uh, in a lot of new and refreshing ways. Um, uh, what was, uh, I'll just start with you, Dan, what was kind of your, the lasting or like the immediate kind of impact thing, uh, from this 10 part series, so to speak? Well, you know, to, to put myself in context, uh, in 1990, Eight, I was 19 years old, and I have grown up a rabid basketball fan here in Southern California. Unfortunately, I've been a Clippers fan since I was a young boy, so we haven't had a lot of things to celebrate. So, you know, I, I watched Bird and Magic, and then the Pistons, and then really the Chicago Bulls of the 90s were the epitome of the great team, right? I think we're People talk about the old Celtics in the 60s or the Cowboys and the Steelers in the 70s or, or maybe the Patriots today. I mean, this this was the greatest team there was. It, and re-watching it, you realize that it wasn't even close. I mean, some of the games were close, but they won six championships. I mean, that, that, is, that is unheard of. And so just to remember, I mean, that's excellence. You know, we, we see today, um, I don't know, who, what's the best team in the NBA right now? I, recently, you know, you could say it's been the the uh, Warriors. Although seeing them uh, implode has been really, really fun for me. Um, but, but they're great. And then you could go to, you know, maybe the Kobe Shaq Lakers or you know the Cavs that I guess made the finals a bunch. But no one is as dominant. And so for me, that was the first thing was 
these guys were really good. These, this was, and I think it's, it's, you know, we keep calling it the Michael Jordan documentary, but it's not a Michael Jordan. It's, it's a Chicago Bulls documentary. You know, that's, that's why we don't get the wizards at the end, right? <laughs> because this is just right. about the bulls. And so I think we rightly focus on Jordan, how amazing he was. But this is, this is a documentary about an exceedingly good team. And for me, and, and I'll, I'll let Bob go, for me, the hero is, is Phil Jackson. I mean, that guy really had to tie everything together, uh, working with Jordan, working with Pippen, working with Rodman. Um, so I, I was, I was just working with Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and then the dude went to the Lakers and dealt with Shaq and Kobe and brought them championships. So in some ways, I think Phil Jackson is the guy who we all need to sit back and say, yeah, he was really good. The weight that was on his shoulders is really unfathomable when you think about it. And all, like you were mentioning all the egos that he was balancing and, and, you know, and I think rightly Phil was the perfect guy for that job, <laughs> just the way he approached the game and the way that he addressed these players. And um, I mean, it worked out. He won six rings. So <laughs> go ahead, Bob. Yeah. Uh, if you have Doug Collins as the head coach, you know, you'll have Jordan as the highest scorer in the history of the game and uh, he'll be one of the greats, but they won't have the championships that they had. I, I think it's interesting. I, I don't know. You guys can push back at me on this. I don't know if I'd call it a documentary so much as like uh, an oral history <laughs> from Jordan's perspective of the Bulls. Um, I know he had like a ton of control over it. And so I think it would have been interesting to have a few other voices that weren't really heard. It's, it comes out pretty pro-Jordan, uh, which is frankly what I want. Uh, that's what I wanted to see. I. I like getting inside that guy's head. I think he's just fascinating. Um, but, he, I mean, he doesn't come out looking all roses, but, you know, it does close with Jordan reading a poem and saying, well, I'm no poet. But, <laughs> like, okay, well, it's a little self-indulgent at this point. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I still thought, I mean, it's just, it's terrific. And you're right, Dan. Uh, it's kind of like Brady now, Brady and Belichick, where it's, there's just nothing else compared to it. And even if like, even if Brady loses in the Super Bowl, you're like, well, the best team lost. Um, it, there, it's just, there's nothing compared to it. And I, and I remember, I, so Dan grew up a Lakers fan, uh, sorry, Clippers fan. There's a big difference. I, um, I grew up a Nuggets fan in Denver. So it's the same thing where we had nothing except for like, you know, Bill Hanslick <laughs> in the eighties. Brad, you know, um, kind of what Bob was kind of getting, if we could hear him in there or not, was that this wasn't so much a documentary in the style that we're used to. Uh, Ken Burns came out. Ken Burns came out and said, this isn't a documentary. <laughs> and so I, I kind of likened it to a an autobiography that was ghostwritten. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. and because, I mean, we really know that the guy, the, the guy who made the film had, Jordan had the final say on everything. Hmm. And if it wasn't for that, we don't get to see this footage. Yes. And so I think it was kind of a trade-off that we made. Yes. Um, yes. I, I wouldn't be surprised in the next year or two if we get a real Bulls or a real Jordan documentary that just like, you know, goes super dark as a kind of, you know, <laughs> balance to this one. Um, but it was. I mean, it, 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 it was really well done, but it was more autobiography, less hard-hitting you know documentary yes but, definitely, yeah, as long as you know what to expect yeah. <laughs> i definitely felt that throughout the throughout the 10-part series it was it was definitely like uh, that's a good way to put it like a, a, a ghost-written autobiography and the ghost is jordan himself so to speak writing and <laughs> making sure that how he is portrayed is 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 good and, and worthy of of his mystique and everything like that um, that's a really good way to put it. What is, if you, either you can kind of jump in, but what was like one of your favorite parts or one of your, what, like the, the, the segments or, or like the things that kind of stands out to you, um, from this, from this whole series, these 10 parts? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I mean, I'd seen some of it before, but the footage of Jordan winning the championship on Father's Day after his dad died, hmm. um, you know, and just collapsing 
in in the uh, the locker room. I thought that was really that was that was really something else. And I and I thought so from a, a sort of emotional perspective. I thought that was really good. Um, you know, it, it just about everything with Rodman just sticks out because it's absurd. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like him just him just taken off to Las Vegas. And they're yeah. like, well, we have to let him. <laughs> like, what, what kind of coach or, or player? But and, you know, and then you know, Jordan shows up, and Carmen Electra is hiding behind the sofa. You know, so just kind of absurdist stuff there uh, that that I got a kick out of. And, and I should say also that I I, I was really impressed with uh, with Steve Kerr mm. and just his story, which I, I didn't know. And and you know, for Pete's sake, he's the the head coach of the the enemy, uh, Golden State Warrior. So I don't want to like him, uh, but I actually, he's, he's a pretty good guy. I, I echo the same thing, especially about uh, the emotion of I, th- I don't I think that's in episode seven uh, it, after he wins Ring Four, and I've seen those. You know, this point has been made by other folks, but I've seen those pictures of Jordan just weeping and sobbing after he wins that ring, and then when you actually hear hear those sobs like you hear jordan just almost just wailing if with grief and emotion it's not happy necessarily it's not like a triumphant cry it's definitely grief he's sharing at just all of that is coming to a head so to speak in that moment for him and uh that just that really leveled me and the rodman stuff too is like i just think that would never ever be able to fly in today's you know twitter reporting of athletes and uh celebrities like just the way that he handled himself in those years i don't know how he would have ever survived the scathing that he i mean he was scathed by the media regardless and that was before social media was ever even thought of and i just i can't imagine how that would have been handled in today's today's world and society (laughs) all right so how do you justify you know, you you slaughter Utah in Game Four, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm gonna go, uh, I'm gonna go wrestle with Hulk Hogan. That'll be fun." It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the thought process was there, <laughs> and, and it, the only thought process is uh, it's Rodman being Rodman, which is not much of a justification. <laughs> but again, it's where the the genius of Phil Jackson is seen, where he's able to figure out how to manage that. Like he allows Rodman to be that guy, and then the next night he comes out and just dominates. It's incredible. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of incredible when you think about it. <laughs> what was your kind of favorite part there, Bob? Uh, I, I was the same with the father Father's Day. Uh, I really nostalgically, I loved the. I've forgotten the commercials. If I could be like Mike, the Gatorade commercials. <laughs> like those, the McDonald's commercials, uh, in, in the shoes, I still like, I get a feeling in my stomach when I see those first air Jordans, like, God, I got to get those, got to get those shoes. But when I was a kid, they were so expensive. My, you know, we, we were never allowed to get those things. Uh, and the other thing I loved w- was just the stuff about the dream team. I thought was fascinating that practice where they're going head to head. Uh, or the pickup games, like when he's shooting um, uh, the the movie, and yeah, Space Jam, and he flies out all the people, and they build him a whole gym, and he's just sitting there playing them, scouting them uh, for the next year. Like everything he did was to be better than everyone else, and and he he was constantly finding ways to beat guys every minute of every day, and everything, even when he's on their team, or even when he's just playing pickup games, he knows what he's going to do against them. It was just incredible. You know, I, I was thinking about that, um, guys, that one of the things that stuck with me is just how ruthless Jordan was and and frankly, unlikable. But there's something about us, I think, as, as human beings with celebrity or, or, you know, greatness that we we sort of think we deserve a package of someone who is everything that greatness should also include likability, you know, that, that you need to be the whole package. And Jordan wasn't, you know, that Jordan wasn't an, as much as he did space jam in the commercials. He wasn't an entertainer like say a Charles Barkley or, 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 you know, name, name someone, but 
he showed, hey, if you want to be better than everyone else, you will sacrifice everything. And that includes friends, that includes reputation, that, you know, I mean, he, he was the greatest. And I think that he got what he want, he wanted, but I think there, it leaves us a little bit cold because we're, you know, aren't you supposed to also be likable? Aren't you also supposed to be an entertainer? And, and he's not, he's, he is the greatest I, I think he's the greatest basketball player who ever lived. Yeah. Well, um, he definitely he, broke that mold of, of what you were talking about, like the, the entertaining celebrity that checks all the boxes. Uh, he didn't necessarily check all those boxes. And um, um, it actually reminds me, um, and I'll let you finish your thought really quick, but it reminds me of that, that scene. If you've seen the movie, the, the prestige where, um, you know, they're, they're the two uh, protagonists are kind of watching this, famed uh, magician and he's like this old man who does this magic trick and then they watch him afterwards and like it's that complete devotion to his trade is actually the magic trick because they don't know understand how he how he does what he does other than the fact that he is completely devoted to every single aspect of it and becomes his life and i think that that is a really uh, interesting pr- way of looking at jordan is that that is the same like it, basketball was his entire life. Like it wasn't like he was, he was had this uh, entertaining style like a LeBron does, or or like a good reference that you mentioned, Dan was was Barkley. Is it's it's not quite the same. Or Shaquille O'Neal, um, it's way different. His devotion to the game was just unlike any other athlete we've ever seen um, ever. <laughs> there's there's something about the way he's wired too, and I don't know. I mean, I, I can't get into the psychology of this, but he just cannot lose. He's got to win. And he, there was an interesting thing after Kobe died. If you heard Jordan's um, um, eulogy, he said Kobe would call him at like two in the morning to talk about posting up <laughs> like different moves he had on the court. And these guys just are wired in a particular way uh, that I like personally, I can't access that for anything like i i just don't i mean i eat and breathe my job i love my preaching i love my family but i'm not like ruthlessly going to harm people if they get in the way and i don't wake up at three in the morning thinking about my next move like i mean this is this is a remarkable attitude uh, that, that you just people are wired a particular way and he has that combination of of skill set and sort of mentality which is you know which is always kind of when people harp on lebron they say he doesn't have that killer attitude like kobe had or like jordan had um i don't know if that's fair to lebron because you just have to find something to pick on him for i guess but you don't see that same kind of relentlessness i guess brad you mentioned uh you know had rodman been doing this in the days of today with twitter you know that that it would have been a much different story. I think Jordan's celebrity would be different. You're right. Uh, you know, when when we were kids and we we saw Space Jam, we saw Be Like Mike, we saw the shoes. It was very carefully crafted as to what we could know about him and what we couldn't know about him. And that kind of mystery is gone, right? I mean, the, now we get to know everything about everyone all the time, <laughs> or we expect to. And, you know, I was thinking about when, um, when the Heat lost their first championship with LeBron and Bosch and Wade, when they lost, I think it was LeBron who kind of did turn into this kind of like unsavory character. And after they lost, he said something like, well, you're all going to go back to work. You know what I mean? Sort of had that and the world wanted to turn on it. It was like, nope, we hate you now. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I don't think Jordan would fare that well because no. we would expect access to him and his thoughts and his everything all the time, and his was just winning basketball games. So I, I think it's one more example of just how hard it is to compare generations of players. Well, it's interesting. How long do you think the story would last now if Jordan said Republicans buy shoes too? Like I mean, that <laughs> would be, yeah, that would be the end of everything for him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I when that was one of the more surprising parts of the documentary because I um, over the series I I just didn't remember. I mean, I, I didn't remember him saying that, 
um, of course, and I didn't really have any conscious knowledge of that story being what it was. And I can't imagine (laughs) that Jordan is saying that in today's, you know, Twitter sphere and blogosphere, which would just excoriate him probably relentlessly, it, regardless of what side of the media you fall on, it would be a story that would capture a lot of headlines. You know, just when Jordan or, or James, uh, was he the one that said, uh, or that was told, you know, shut up and dribble or something like that. Yep. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. That's a really good point though, to make that it, Jordan's celebrity and uh, how he is revered is, would probably be so much different uh, in the 21st century, as opposed to when he was actually uh, in his prime, and yeah, it tells us something about just kind of the landscape of of sports, yeah, and sports entertainment today, the the sort of political life today. Um, the idea, I, I I like the idea that there are some, or there were some, and maybe there still are some, sort of political free zones, and maybe sports can be one of those. Um, you know that that I don't have to bring my ideology with me. I don't have to bring my, Oh, did he say the right thing about free trade or you know, was, was he tweeting about the deficit? Like, no, 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 just, just do your thing. Like I don't want to know uh, all the other stuff. I want to see you play. That's not saying shut up and dribble, but that's saying sports is this place that we still have in some places where we can just enjoy something regardless of, of, of views. And that's becoming more and more rare today. It's interesting. That's an interesting point, Dan. There's a there's a craving of this though from the media. Like sports can be that, but it's also this incredible place for social change to to be sort of welcomed in, right? Like, I mean, this is um, with with Jackie Robinson or with uh, a Muhammad Ali. Like these guys were very political figures. Um, and and social change happens because of what they do, uh, and it's through sports where it becomes kind of accepted into society. So there is like this: you just want to be entertained, but there's also an opportunity there for for something. I guess I don't know exactly how to word it. Yeah, let me let me think about this. I mean, when you we mentioned Barkley earlier, and um, Brad, you're a little bit younger, but there were these um, this sort of with Barkley and around the same time period. Um, he famously said, I'm not, I'm not a role the model. The shoe commercial. Yeah. I'm not a role model. Yeah. Right. I, I'm not a role model. And I thought that was a really interesting and people I think rightly said, Oh no, that's a cop out dude. <laughs> like when you are in front of people, when you are paid to be in front of people to do something, you are to some extent, I, I think the level of how much you should be, to what extent should we get to know who you are? But I thought that was an interesting kind of backlash uh, you know, don't look at me. Um, we we can't help but, in some ways, right? We're we're looking at when we look at other humans, we're looking at a mirror of sorts, and we're saying, how could I be like that person or not like that person, or what does this person's activities or personality tell me? So it's um, you know just another prism to look through. Well, yeah, and, and so Barkley says that in the shadow of if I could be like Mike, like Mike, if I could be like it's you're. One commercial is telling you, you need to be this person because he's the best at what he does. And everybody who wants to be great is going to be like him. Like he is the role model. Uh, and Barkley is saying, yeah, I'm not raising your kids. Uh, I'm playing basketball. All right. That's what I do. It's it's very interesting to me. Well, now take the be like Mike. Um, now that what we know about Jordan, do you want your kids to be like Mike? No. <laughs> like, you know, I'm glad I I'm glad I didn't sort of sacrifice everything for excellence in one thing. I know I'd be a, a basket case. Um, uh, you know, obviously they're making a different point, but I don't want to be like Mike. I I would trade happiness for you know uh, excellence in one point. Although the money would be nice. The money would be nice. <laughs> well, sure. you can see that just in how he closes the the series. He's been harboring this sort of uh, open-ended sort of bitterness against how it all played out at the end of his Chicago Bulls tenure, that he has never really gotten closure on how that all came to, you know, end and and wrap up. And and to think that he has been uh, thinking about that, I I just imagine, I picture Jordan just sitting in his mansion, (laughs) and props to him, but he's sitting there thinking 
I should have had seven rings or thinking about like a play from like game three of the first round and how he missed that one play or something. I, I think of him obsessively chewing and, and, and musing on that and in, in his drive for perfection. And I just don't know, I, like you said, I, I wouldn't trade that for happiness. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I bet he doesn't think about in his mansion. And that is uh, the, the Birmingham Barons uh experiment <laughs> yeah uh, I mean, there, there was something so gratifying about the fact that jordan couldn't hit a curveball <laughs> and and the idea that you have all these minor league pitchers who go out there and just destroy him with a simple curveball and just how good that would feel <laughs> you know it's like you are human you are not just great at everything you pick up I heard, uh, uh, that there was sorry go ahead no go i heard a radio talking about that and they're like you know Hitting two ten and double A—that's nothing to wink at. And like, well, it kind of is. <laughs> it's, it's not that great. It's just not that great. When you just left a championship basketball team, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was definitely the most Jordan forward or Jordan like favored portion of the documentary. I thought, in the sense that like there was. I think it was Reinsdorf who was saying that you know he had no doubt that he would have made the majors if he had stuck with, you know, like hitting and stuff like that. I just, I I, I don't like baseball. I don't really watch it, but I just was like, I highly doubt that that was the case. I mean, maybe I don't want to like doubt Jordan and his work ethic, but based off of the evidence, I I didn't see it. (laughs) Yeah, no, he, he, um, he's not a Bo Jackson or a Deion Sanders, right? He could be sort of dual players and had their own weaknesses and, Jordan is an exceptionally good basketball player, especially the style that we saw in the 80s and 90s. He's the best at that style there has ever been. And I would say the best basketball player ever because he dominated his, you know, uh, his generation so thoroughly. Uh, you know, the, the comparisons, I, I'm curious. I, it's so hard to compare players. Um, they're just not built the same size. You know, they're, they're just, they're, it's a different game. Um, if, if Jordan, and at the same time, if Jordan, if your hand check was illegal then, right? I mean, what else could have Jordan done? So there's just so many variables that it's, uh, it's hard to do. It's interesting. Uh, Dan, you had mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in a conversation we had, you know, how would Jordan do versus LeBron in this, in this era? I think if you, if you look at Kobe Bryant, there's sort of a, a helpful, uh, comparison there, right? I mean, Kobe would still dominate now. This is still kind of his era, I guess, just post his era. Yeah, yeah um, I think so. But I, I still think Jordan would be a rather dominant player. I, it's hard to compare him to LeBron. LeBron is such a beast of a human being. He's so big and powerful. Um, it's, it's a it's a different type of player, but I mean, I, I don't know. Jordan, the, again, his mental ability to just tear people apart, um, it, that will, I think that's what would give him a competitive edge in today's game. Whenever you look at generations, and I'll, I'll just go deep into the weeds for one second here, there are players who are you know greatest of all time level, but they benefited from a, a change in the game, a fundamental change in the size, in the speed, in the way it's played. Bill Russell, you know, won eight championships with the Celtics in the 60s. But there was also no one as big and fast and good as Bill Russell, right? I mean, he 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 was amazing because of that. If you watch 90s basketball, 80s and 90s basketball, when defenders could put their hands on you, right, with hand checks, LeBron, you do that to LeBron and that's a personal foul right away, right? And so I, I thought it was funny with that, uh, his last shot with Brian Russell, you know, when he kind of pushed him down a little bit when he when he jukes him at the, at the top of the key and the the fact that they even brought up like well was that a foul like no dude like hands it was a handsy game like everyone was smacking everybody and so it's just a, it's just another place where it's like yeah lebron is great but there's yeah there's something about jordan he's just the the, the, the machine really a machine there was the 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 scene where uh rodman is running down the court and, is, and he's he's shoving Carl Malone on the ground. He's tripping him up, and they go. I think it was Costas says something like, "Well, that's got to be a flagrant foul." Like, there's even a question about it. 
in today's game, that's a suspension. <laughs> I mean, that's- yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it wouldn't even be a flagrant. It would just be ejection, and probably both of them. There would be like a double technical or oh, a yeah. double ejection. <laughs> Easy, yeah. Well, that's you know that's living post uh, post our test post yeah, uh, Malice yeah. in the Palace, right? I mean, it's it's and it, and that's the thing I love about basketball, and I've be, one of the nice things about being a Clipper fan um, is that I've I've been to many many games in very good seats. Uh, the games have never been good, but I've always, you know, I, I've had the opportunity a number of times to sit courtside. And basketball is unlike any other sport where you are right there, right? Their faces aren't covered. They, you, you hear them. You, it's, I mean, it's, it's an intense experience when you're, when you're there. Um, and when the, you know, when these guys start going at it, it's, it's, it's something else. It's, it's it's amazing, but but it can be a little scary because guys are flying around and you know. I went to a concert uh, a couple of years ago at the Forum where the Lakers used to play. Where the Clippers um, will be playing next. Not, when not Clippers before, just bought the, uh, the uh, Where the Lakers play in the in the eighties. Uh, uh, the Great Western Forum. Yeah. The Forum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Steve Ballmer just bought it. It's going to become the Clippers' new home. So. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. My seats were very much near the top. And I was still, I mean, I could see everything on the floor. I'd forgotten in the 80s how close you were in basketball games. The, the stadiums were nothing like they are now where you've got three layers and all this stuff. There were two layers up, and everybody was right on it. Um, it, it, it was just an incredible experience. And we used to go to see this with the Nuggets at the old uh, McNichol Sports Arena. Um, you were right there. It was Those were great seats. That's a lot of fun when it used to be that close. And I think that's one of the reasons why basketball does have a, yeah, there's some, I mean, uh, this whole document, I mean, I haven't seen something grab society. Now the coronavirus obviously has helped by putting us all inside, but the fact that we're talking about this, right? Everybody watched it. Everybody knew it, you, it, because it feels so close. It feels so intimate, whether you're at the game or you're watching these people or, just the kind of access we're used to having with these people. Um, and that was something that we know that he, uh, he guarded and gave us a little bit of with this Jordan did. And it was, you know, really scratched an itch for us. I, I liked your comments about generational comparisons though, uh, Dan. And I think it's something that I, I've obviously talked a lot about this. I'm of course of the generation that has predominantly grew up watching uh, Kobe, but then LeBron more so in terms of NBA stardom. He's been the guy, so to speak, and rightly so. And uh, I don't think I've ever ascribed to the idea that LeBron is somehow better than Jordan. However, um, I think what this documentary series um, has made me realize is, or actually just more affirmed in me, is that is that appreciating Jordan and appreciating LeBron aren't mutually exclusive ideals. And they're always everywhere, I think, made into be. And, you know, that drives, you know, ESPN's, you know, content that they can push out. But uh, it's not necessarily the case, I think, that we have to compare these generational stars because, number one, their games, like you said, they're, they're, the styles of play are just so you can't compare 90s basketball with 2010s basketball with the amount of threes that are being taken with the amount of spacing and mathematics that are being um, just displayed at every single moment of the game. Like the way that Harden plays would just be completely otherworldly to a Jerry Sloan coach in the mid nineties. Like it just wouldn't make sense. <laughs> and, that's a good, Jerry Sloan would, Oh man, that's good. You would, you would probably lose the but like, You'd quit. I yeah. think it on one level, that's why I, I hate comparing them. Um, and I think it's also unfair to LeBron and not just because I'm a LeBron apologist, but I think it, we have almost ruined LeBron's or at least the way we appreciate LeBron's career with this idea of Jordan nostalgia in the sense that, you know, at least before this moment. And I wish that, like you said earlier, that I think there will be a, like a follow-up documentary. That's a little bit more negative Jordan, perhaps. I don't know if that's the case, but it, it, it very well might be. But I think that there's this tendency to think that 
especially with my generation, like we, we, the only things I know about Jordan are through highlight reels and, and other venues where all you see is every single made shot and every single incredible layup or dunk. And I think that's a problem because we have this idea that Jordan hit every single game winner that he ever took. And that's just not true. And we have applied that nostalgic, almost law onto LeBron and where we have judged his career based on this almost false narrative of Jordan's. And that's why I think that what this has done in some cases, even though it's Jordan centric, it has kind of made it more honest about who Jordan was uh, as a player, but it's also made me affirm LeBron's career just because I, it's just, it's incredible what he has done in his era of, of, scrutiny uh pressure of expectation of constant media attention but also on the the same hand i mean jordan had the same things in an era in an age before before you know 24 hour coverage um and, and twitter coverage but i don't i don't know if that makes sense but it's just this made me appreciate both i guess is what i'm saying in a long-winded way (laughs) yeah no absolutely i mean it's jordan had really bad games sometimes Jordan missed big shots. Jordan said things that were uncouth, but it just went away. <laughs> you know, it, it and and obviously this documentary, I think, uh, did him some favors in in zooming past. You know, no talk of the Wizards. Um, his his gambling issue was just kind of written off. Like ah, I just like to gamble, and it's over. Um, you know, I mean, there there's some things. There's some there's some dark corners there. Some difficulties, but. Uh, it, you know what, for, for the guy that had I Want to Be Like Mike commercials in the 90s, uh, the perfect sort of packaged sports celebrity star was handed to us. Uh, this documentary is kind of an appropriate parallel to that, right? It's here's the <laughs> here are the greatest shots. Here are the greatest stories. Uh, enjoy, right? Be nostalgic. Yeah. It, well, it, on that point, like, so I, I was eight years old when – you know, game six was going on in the 98 finals and <laughs> rewatching it, especially I love that they spent so much time on it in the last episode because <laughs> rewatching the 98 finals was incredibly tense. And even though I knew it was going to happen, like the way that they told that story, the story of that game specifically was so impactful. And um, I, I just came away just like, it was such a tense moment, even though I knew that Jordan was going to hit the shot. I was just like in that, as I was watching it, I I didn't know if he was going to, (laughs) there was so much that was hanging in the balance of that moment. And uh, they really, they really portrayed that really well. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it, it it was a documentary about the Bulls that was centered almost exclusively on Michael Jordan, which makes sense. But at times I wanted to hear what other people were, you know, we, we just got to, I don't think we got a, a much into Scottie Pippen's life and his life is fascinating, right? Coming from, coming out of Arkansas and, um, one of the greatest kind of, you know, second banana role players of all time, uh, you know, coming from NAIA school, I, I would have liked to have heard more from him. I would have liked to have heard a little bit more from, um, from some of the coaches. Um, I, I think the triangle offense is really fascinating and it obviously went on to be implemented. And I think we got like five minutes, you know, it's like, Oh, this is what the triangle is. And then they moved on, but that was a huge, that was a huge deal. Um, when Jackson started implementing that and the kind of analytical basketball game that we have today. I mean, as, as a mo- as a fan of the modern game, I'll tell you every time Jordan, you know, puts up a long two, I think, doesn't he know that's the least efficient shot? <laughs> you know, does it like, <laughs> like don't shoot the long two, but it was, it was a different game, but the triangle was that beginning of like the super stat heavy sort of figuring it out. So I would have liked to have seen more of, of that. 
you know, as, as far as, as being surprised by anything, um, yeah, I mean, it's just how good they were. I mean, this, this really, even if the, I remember the championships, you know, and they were, they were good. The Utah one was good, but by the time they got to the finals, it was kind of a done deal. But to go back and look at, you know, having to play the Pacers, I forgot how good the Pacers were. Uh, looking at having to to overcome the Pistons. I mean, these were really good teams, and so just what an amazing team that that was. Something I, I would have liked to have seen more of, and it was it was fun to uh, to get the bits of it that we did. Yeah, I think there's. For... I agree about like the greatness of that team, especially when they were talking about how they would get up for moments and 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 like mid season games that really didn't matter. And they were still just like destroying guys and going after teams. And like, there's that type of, of, of control and just, just, Oh man, it's just that type of like love for the game. Um, it's just incredible. Like it's just, it's insane. And uh, one, like the most surprising, I think story that came out of this for me was um, I think it's in episode eight, where it talks about the the LeBradford Smith story about how Jordan like you know makes up this trash talk from this rookie player that yeah. motivates him in the next game and it's like <laughs> I just loved that story because it just showed that he almost would get so disinterested in the competition because he was just so much better that he made he started making up stories about how people were trash talking him in order to get him on fire, so to speak. And I just, I don't know. It was just incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, that was pretty, I mean, he needed something, you know, and it was, it was, but that, that's that competitive nature, right. Which I think probably fueled his, his gambling and yeah, he, he, yeah. he needed stuff, right. He needed uh, either Carl Malone to win the championship or uh, yeah, the, the fake beefs were, were pretty good. Yeah, I've, I enjoyed that. And just there's this i think kind of circling back to what we were talking about before but just that sense of like jordan's pursuit of perfection and, and you know we've made the the comments and the statements that this this is not necessarily a jordan documentary even though it is all centered in through the lens of jordan's career arc and and whatnot and i just think like I don't know. It's just, there's an incredible sense of like, he was pursuing perfection and there's this sense that even he couldn't, um, as much as he did in certain cases, you know, um, and colloquially, uh, even he didn't, doesn't have this perfect squeaky clean resume or career even. And, um, I don't know, there's just, there's a lot to that, uh, that resonates, I think with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, is there anything that I'll just ask you the same questions I asked Dan. Um, is there anything that, you know, was surprising to you, uh, that popped up in the series or, uh, on the same hand, is there anything that wasn't covered that you wish was kind of spent more time on throughout the series? Uh, no, I thought they did a good job. I mean, I really actually appreciated how they would go season by season with the championships while going through the midst of everything happening in the last season. It was there's a few things I noticed that were absent. Uh, you guys, you know who Adrian Wojnarowski is? I think it's his last name, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Woj. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Woj. In those days, there was a guy named Peter Vesey, and and Peter Vesey covered the NBA kind of like Woj does now. He was not there, and that seems strange to me. There are certain voices I kind of would have liked to have heard from, and he just wasn't a part of it at all, which I thought was interesting. Um, I was very surprised. I don't think Scottie Pippen comes off looking very good. Um, sometimes he does. Like It depends on the weekend. I leave, and some weekends I'm like, boy, Pippen's great. And other weekends I'm like, guy's a terrible teammate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Pippen was a very interesting character to me. Um, I think the one other thing I thought was really fascinating, this is bad in the eighties, like Jordan walks in on a, in a, in a, into a hotel room and the entire team is doing Coke yeah. <laughs> and drinking. 
like, does this, this is remarkable to me, the way we think about our bodies and our health now, and the way these athletes are like perfectly, uh, uh, created beings to be these great guys on the floor. I don't, I think a lot of them are doing coke. Maybe they are. <laughs> the, the chemical enhancements that I remember from uh, the late '90s in baseball are very different from the early '80s in the NBA, I guess. But um, yeah, those were some of the things that I thought were really interesting. Yeah, that revelation of Jordan's focus on his body, but also the apparent lack of focus by his, you know, 1980s teammates was really stark, uh, especially like you were mentioning, Bob, in terms of how we think of of health and, and how, how athletes think of themselves efficiently and how can they be the most efficient athlete and all these sorts of things. It was just, it just really eye opening. <laughs> well, I remember um, I was thinking about, I was, I was going back to like old players, you know, back in the sixties, Bob Cousy smoking a cigarette, you know, at halftime. But then I thought that Vlade Divac did that in the nineties, right? <laughs> I mean, these guys mm. were like, hold on, you're just smoking. You're an athlete, you know, or, um, I also thought it was funny how, you know, Jordan was really angry about the leak, you know, Horace Grant leaking, you know, stuff out, but, but Jordan's like, oh yeah, no, they were all doing cocaine. <laughs> he just throws like, come on, man, you gotta, like. <laughs> so what do you think? Did, uh, did Horace Grant leak all that stuff? Cause he is denying it. I mean, vehemently. I don't know. You, you always deny it. So I, I just assumed it's yeah. Um, I think Sam Smith was just watching everything. Like it, it seems to me that he just got stuff that I don't know. It's weird. That, the whole thing is weird to me. Yeah, the fallout of this will be interesting because, like, like you were mentioning, how Pippen doesn't always appear in the greatest light, and um, neither does Horace. Uh, he doesn't always appear in the greatest light, and uh, it'll, I know that they have been two of the most vocal kind of guys in the aftermath of all this who have really kind of voiced their disapproval, maybe is the right word, of just how they were portrayed and just how it all kind of played out, so to speak. And I don't know, it'd be interesting to see if there's more of that. I think one of the guys who appears really good is actually BJ Armstrong. And um, he, he I, I forgot just, you know, or I wasn't even really conscious when he was a kind of active, but just when how important and integral he was as just like a role player for the Bulls in those early 90s teams. Um, they had a lot of he was They had a lot of glue players. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's kind of a, a Phil Jackson thing. You know, I remember uh, I think of guys like Derek Fisher or Bob Ory, you know, the, the later Lakers. You go back to a Paxton, a Kerr, Wennington. I mean, these guys who were, um, you know, not not the greatest players, but he understood, Jackson and Jordan understood, this is the kind of people we need around us. We need someone who doesn't need all the glory, who doesn't need the shots, who can set a pick. Um, it, the number of guys that played on those teams who, you know, were not great players, but in that system, they were they were the best. Yeah, and uh, you're right about that, Dan. In terms, of, especially in terms of how it it leads to, uh, like we mentioned earlier, there's this appreciation and reverence for Phil and just how he was able to manage manage those players in that era is, I don't know, it's it's quite quite remarkable i think in a lot of cases anything else stand out to you yeah, it's very true of a lot of those players uh apparently except for scott burrell <laughs> who, who comes off looking like the nicest guy you've ever met but it's just a punching bag for jordan it's incredible yeah no that those are that's a pretty funny uh it, it, but it's also just jordan's contempt for people also is kind of like you know he talks about uh, gary payton you know, Gary Payton was a phenomenal defender. And for Jordan to be like, eh, I didn't have a problem with him. Well, yes, he did. Like, statistically, he had a problem with it. <laughs> His two worst games in the history of the NBA Finals were when Payton was covering him. I mean, that's, it's, that was totally unfair to Payton. Yep. <laughs> but this, this is Jordan's, you know, it's Jordan's world. It's Jordan's show. And uh, very enjoyable. But just, you're right. I mean, it's, <laughs> there are. Uh, it's life, you know. There are idiosyncrasies all over the place, and characters, and you know. I uh, I've never liked Isaiah Thomas, so I did enjoy that part. <laughs> where Jordan, 
is like single handedly responsible for everyone hating Thomas. It's, it's just it's kind of amazing. Yeah, that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, or or uh, Reggie Reggie Miller not calling Jordan anything but Black Jesus or the Black Cat. <laughs> he hates him. <laughs> just, that was a funny, you know. Um, you know that's another great scene when uh when when the Pacers beat the Bulls in that last second shot, and then Jordan misses the shot, and they're all going nuts and they're all excited. And then they pan over to Larry Bird, and he's like, "You guys, <laughs> yeah. you just lost the series. <laughs> like, you're all happy. You just lost the series to Jordan. Sit down." Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that stands out to you, or you know, I'll say this. I'll say just as you know, my my other job, my real job, I'm a historian, and I'll tell you this: 1992 is peak America. All right, the Cold War is over. We've got that dream team. It, it really was something else, right? I mean, to be, you know, I was 13 at the time. Um, I mean, that I, I went and watched the documentary on the dream team the, uh, the night that that episode came on just to remember how amazing that was. And it's, I mean, we've had dream teams since, but nothing like that for that first dream team, right? That just, we, we got to see the practice. Uh, just devastating in terms of just how good they were. Um, th- it was that was one something you don't get to see in sports very often. All the best players getting together legitimately, not for an all star game, uh, but to train. Uh, Daly was a great coach. Um, it was it was really fun seeing that and putting putting that in that context and seeing all those players and saying, yeah, Jordan's the best out of all of them. <laughs> like those are those are some good players, right? I mean, those are the, the all time some of the all time greats. And just how he stood above them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 80s basketball, remember, in the 80s, championships were on tape delay. Right? Basketball was not the sport that it became in the 90s. That that it was, you know, kind of maybe how a lot of Americans think of hockey today, right? Yeah, people are into it. It's this other thing. Jordan, the dream team, the uh, kind of commodification of sports in some ways – everyone realized, Hey, it's in our best interest to do this. And yeah, it's become a a different, uh, completely different ecosphere, right? I mean, it's, it's, you're right. Guys are friends. Guys are saying, Hey, let's all play on the same team together. Whereas, you know, um, magic would never go to the Pistons, right? (laughs) Uh, Jordan would never go to the bulls. You just, that would, that'd be unthinkable. Um, and so, you know, Jordan went to the Wizards, and it was a terrible idea, and the the uniforms made it worse. But that <laughs> felt like a betrayal. Where you know, I, yeah. I forgot, yeah. I forgot just to say, I was thinking about LeBron. I'm like, oh, that's right, he's a Laker now because everyone just goes wherever. You know, there's we don't have that kind of uh, uh, loyalty, you know, with with players, and that's just you know part of the system and free agency. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a different world, a different game. I think that also is attributed to a lot of the, like the AAU stuff where there it's, it's definitely more parody in terms of it's not like, like you said, loyal, there's almost no loyalty to organizations or teams or franchises. It's more just loyalty to my own brand. And that's definitely more the case now. Uh, and I'll go wherever my brand can be most uh, enhanced or, or, if, if it's not here, I'm going to jump ship. And, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's definitely just a, a, the nature of the current climate of, well, especially the NBA. I don't really know if that's, I don't think that has really seeped into any of the other sports. And I think it goes back to what you're saying about how there's this different level of experience of professional basketball than any other sport, just because of the, 
closeness with the athletes and the, well, the entire game itself is an experience that is almost palpable as opposed to something that's so you're so far removed from anything in the NFL or even baseball to that, to, to a large degree. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Can I, can I ask you, Brad, what's, what's your, what's your team? Are you a Sixers guy? (laughs) No. So uh, I, um, so I grew up in South Carolina. I moved to Florida and, um, and that was in 2000, um, uh, 2013, I moved to Florida. So, uh, I, I am most loyal to the Miami heat. Uh, right. That is not because of LeBron's decision. That is actually from, uh, when they drafted, uh, Dwayne Wade in 2003. Uh, I was a huge Dwayne Wade fan watching his, uh, final full run with Marquette and uh, all those sorts of things. And I always revered and I always honestly loved his style of play more than anyone else. Uh, it was Wade, Wade and Wade and Derek Rose are the ones I most enjoyed watching. Um, and uh, so uh, definitely if I had to pick a, a loyalty, I would be uh, the Miami Heat. Although I will say I have succumbed to my generation's lack of loyalty. And I really just like watching individual players do what they do. Uh, and that's definitely not what a lot of people have become familiar with, with a lot of sports and, and sports watching. But when I'm watching the NBA, I, I like putting things into context historically and appreciating individual achievements as opposed to just this franchise being the best franchise there is, so to speak, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's it's a divide. It's a generational divide. And it's mm. I, I think you can see it in – like I can tell you a couple things about Bob. Now Bob and I went to college together, but I can tell you a couple of things. But I I know like oh no, it's it's Nuggets, Rockies, Broncos, Avalanche. Like that's his thing, right? <laughs> and and I'm Clippers, Rams, Ducks, Angels, right? And why? Because that's where I grew up, and that's my cluster. And now it's like you know even with my kids, you know it's like no no we like these teams. These are our teams. Like why? <laughs> like well, it's, 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 our identity is wrapped up in it <laughs> um, rather than just the game itself but that's you know that's part of the you know the, the fan experience which i think is a uh, a lot to be mined in terms of what we think about ourselves and, and how we want to be uh seen by others yes definitely <laughs> it's definitely more of like a badge of honor in terms of what you who you cheer for and root for as opposed to like loyalty or devotion to a city or a town or anything like that. It's that, that I don't, I don't really know why I can't really articulate that, but it's definitely not the same. Yeah. I, I, I've been, I've spent my whole life so identified with these teams, right. That it's like, who, who are the players? Well, now the Clippers got Kawhi and, and, and uh, Paul George and the like, but I, I think you know, when, um, say the Rams in football, when the Rams moved back home where they belong here in Los Angeles, I think I got like 50 texts that day. Like, Dan, we're so happy for you. <laughs> you know, like when, uh, you know, the Clippers, you know, uh, do something, I'm like the Clipper guy, you know, <laughs> like, and that's how people know me. I think it makes it easier for, for present buying. Um, but it's different. You know? It's like, I'll oh, just give some Clipper stuff and be fine. In a shirt. <laughs> I don't mind it. I, I've got lots of bobbleheads, lots of t-shirts. <laughs> Check out uh, the craft of preaching to uh, see all the work that Bob Hiller does at 1517.org. See what I'm doing here, Bob? See? Uh, nice. And you should also check out the Christian History Almanac. Oh, thank you uh, so much. That's what I appreciate. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, my personal favorite podcast that we have on the 1517 uh, network. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, right after the fellows and no, I'm just <laughs> the other day on the almanac, it was um, 94, 1994 was the year we did. And of course that was the, you know, Jordan and the Knicks game as the OJ Simpson, you know, as the, do you remember that Bob where you walk, you know, the, I, do, I remember where I was sitting watching yep. the game yep. and split screen. You've got the Knicks on one and then Jordan and then the, the white Bronco going and um, now, now here's the thing. I wasn't watching the Knicks and the bulls. I was watching um, uh, Houston. Oh, is that okay? I got that. I got that wrong. I had a no, I, it may have just been the, where I, the location of where I was watching, but I think I was watching Houston and I can't recall who they were playing. Um, 
I could be wrong on that, but that seems to be my memory. And that was that was really strange. Check yeah. out the uh, ESPN thirty for thirty uh, on nineteen ninety four. Uh, it it gives it gives the whole it's what was happening in that because it was like the the uh, Rangers won their first Stanley Cup that day, and they had a parade downtown, and then there was a yeah, it's it's a it's a good one. So, well, thanks for thanks for having us on, Brad. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate your inputs and perspectives, and uh, I, I really value your thoughts uh, and your knowledge and history and insights into the game, but in, into this documentary too. But also, I'll just give my own plug. Uh, thanks for uh, your efforts at fifteen seventeen and your continued ministry to me. And uh, definitely, anything I can do to help you guys get the word out there, I'm going to do it. So, I uh, really appreciate you and. Thanks for all your all your ministry efforts. All right. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Well, thanks so much for listening. That's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. I want to thank Dan and Bob for uh, coming on the show and just sharing their thoughts and, uh, and their insights with me uh, on uh, this documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, if you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to this show on, the, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or on Acre Podcasts. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for also listening and commenting. And if you have any other questions or comments, just be, be feel free to put them, put them in the comments to this show or uh, send me an email or something like that. Uh, but I hope you have a blessed day. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.